Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Stephen Kiley. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. Well, good morning. What a lovely day. Yeah, I heard that. It all depends on how you look at it. It looks pretty good from in here. Isn't it something that uh, you can get up and it's all sort of gray and gloomy and you have a feeling that your day is going to be predicated by the moment that you're living in and then all of a sudden the sun breaks through the clouds and what once was so dreary and drab now becomes crystal clear and light, so bright that you need to put glasses on? And that makes me think about what Paul said, now I see through a glass darkly. Think about that. You ever wear sunglasses inside? You ever do it and you forgot that you were wearing them outside and you wore them inside and you said, boy, it's dark in here? Then somebody says, are you going to take your sunglasses off? He says, oh, yeah. But my life is like that. Your life is like that. Sometimes we see through a glass darkly. It doesn't mean the light isn't shining all around you. And then the revelation of Jesus Christ and his direction breaks through the darkness and you, you try to understand why you are so glum when there was so much around you that, that you weren't even aware of. I was um, uh, thinking about what I could share this morning and I kept coming back to a, actually something I had talked to you about several years ago. Matter of fact, probably a couple years ago. But it, it sort of, the idea sort of struck me, and I want to talk to you a little bit about the defining moments of your life. And it's, uh, I tried to think inside my own personal experience about those life-defining decisions that I made. Uh, and what I want to focus on is the ones that are unexpected that change your life. I'm not talking about, well, someday I'm going to get married and you're, you're sort of prepared for that and I'm going to graduate from high school, that's a defining moment, or I'm going to graduate from college. Or, those are all pretty well somewhat established. But what I'm talking about is the spiritual life-defining moments that aren't. The decisions that you make that change the whole course of your life. And... The thing that uh, the Lord has really impressed upon me is how important it is for us to walk in the Spirit. Because you never know when one of those life-defining decisions is going to be made. I was thinking about the summer of 1972. I went to work just like I'd always went to work. I remember where I was working, matter of fact. I was working at Great Lakes Pet Supply. It was a warehouse, a pet warehouse out in Cudahy. And already I was starting to drive truck for them. And it was, uh, I can picture the morning. It was, uh, it was in August. And I thought it was going to be a, day, a normal day just like every other day. I planned on it being a normal day. And then I got news, some news, some terrible news, that eventually affected my whole life, but I hadn't planned on it. 
But it led me to my conversion. Eventually led to my conversion. When these decisions, these moments come, oftentimes you find yourself in a swirling pattern, maybe struck with the anxiety and fear of uncertainty as all sorts of thoughts run through your mind and emotions through your heart. What do I do? And the steps of a righteous man, the Bible said, are ordered by the Lord. And the Bible talks about us seeking him early in the morning because these moments that come by, like today, how do you know today that something might not present itself or happen in your life unexpectedly that could change the whole course of your life. And if you're not in union and communion with God, that you would make the right decision. I actually look back and these, these, these moments have become memorials in my life. I thought, well, have you ever, ever daydream? Hello? Anybody here? You're daydreaming? No, I'm just teasing you. You ever daydream and, and try to think about, I wonder what would have happened or where I would be if I wouldn't have made that decision back years ago? What would I be doing? Well, those decisions not only affect you, but they affect who else? Those that are close to you. They affect your family. And um, we need to be ready for those moments. I'm going to read, uh, talk to you a little bit about a guy that had a life-defining moment. This, this boy was actually, there was two parts to this, this change in his life. The first one he didn't have much of a choice in. He was born a Hebrew. Uh, he was born into captivity, actually in, in Egypt. Uh, didn't have much choice in that. He was thrown into the situation. At the time, uh, politically, Pharaoh was uh, feeling threatened by the alarming rate of growth in the Hebrew nation. And he's trying to quench the growth, the size of these people. And he decides that the only way to do it is to kill children. He's established the first late-term abortion. He let the children be born, and then he killed them. And it was the male ch children he was afraid of. So here, this young man is born into the situation. Actually, he shouldn't have lived if they'd... Uh, uh, followed what Egypt was commanding them to do, he would have been killed. But perchance his, his mother takes him or Miriam takes him down to the water and puts him in a little, little, little case of protection, a little ark, and puts him out on the River Nile where there's all sorts of terrible things like alligators. And instead of him being consumed by his situation or nature, a life-defining moment happens that changes his whole life. God had worked it where Pharaoh's daughter happened to be passing by the place where Moses was. She saw the ark, heard the cry, picked up the child, and made a decision that she was going to take this 
young child into her home and make him a prince. Now Moses didn't have much say in that at that time. And there he was, he went from a terrible situation, a hopeless situation, all the way to a place of provision and prosperity. And he lives in that situation, getting the best of the education, clothing, uh, change of identity, however, for 40 years. And then one morning, he gets up, it was like any other morning, and he's drawn to the, the slavery side of town, to the Hebrew side of town, and he sees a, an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. If he would have known the consequences for his action that day, I wonder if he would have done what he did next. He was moved with fury because he realized his heritage. It was quite evident that he wasn't an Egyptian. He was a Hebrew, dressed in Egyptian clothes. His passion caused him to rise up and do something that changed his whole life. I'm reading from Exodus 2, verse 11. And it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out unto his brethren and he looked on their burdens and he spied an Egyptian smiting a Hebrew of one of his brethren. And he looked this way and that way and when he saw there was no man, he slew the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Now, I look at him, his actions here. He's not certain if this is the right thing to do. When you have to look around to see if anybody's watching your next move, more than likely, it's probably a smart, not a smart move. And he looked this way and that way, and he slew the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. And when he went out the second day, behold, two men of the Hebrews strove together, and he said to them that did the wrong, Wherefore smitest thou thy fellow? And he said, Who made thee a prince and a judge over us? Intendest thou to kill me as thou killed the Egyptian? And Moses feared and said, Surely this thing is known. Now when Pharaoh heard this thing, he sought to slay Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. From the ultimate story of distress, from prestige and notoriety and provision to a place of poverty, poverty, obscurity, and isolation in one day, all through one decision. Sure, his, his heart was with his people, and when his people turned against him, that certainly, that rejection certainly affected him. I wonder if I were to ask him today, Moses, would you have did that differently? Would you have done the same thing that you did today, knowing the results of your decision? And I ask you the same question. 
Would you have made the same decisions that you have made in your life, knowing the ramifications of that decision now? Or would you have said, I really wish I would have sought God about it or been more prepared for the decision? And this morning, what I want to share with you is being prepared for the unknown so that when the decision is needed to be made, that you're ready. Now, I, I'm one of those guys that has a really vivid imagination. And uh, as a truck driver background, oftentimes when you're driving a long time, the only thing that you have to occupy yourself on a long trip is your imagination. Now, you can go to places in the truck that you've never been before. You're doing supernatural feats. You're on the shore of a beach, and your imagination just takes you away. But it doesn't take you away from the reality of the moment. And lots of times, people that are not in the place, their mind is not in the place that they inhabit, when the decision is made, they're not prepared for it. One of the things that my dad taught me, now my dad was a truck driver too, he, he taught me is when you're driving, always try to figure out what the other guy is going to do and what you would do if he did it. If he made a bad move, already in the back of your mind, figure out what your move would be. It's like a great big game of chess. Now he may not make the move, but you're prepared for it if he does. And I was thinking this morning as I was driving here, and that's why the thought came to me. I'm going down around the curve on Highway 67. And I said, there's a bridge up here. If I were to lose traction right now, and I would slide off the road, what would I do? And I figured, you know, I would probably cut. There's a low spot here. It's my imagination. I'm occupying my time. But I'm trying to prepare myself for anything that might come on me unexpectedly. The Bible says that when the Lord comes, when is he going to come? I'll tell you when. When you think not. He said if the good man of the house would have known what hour the thief was coming, guess what? He would have stayed up. He wouldn't have suffered his house to be broken into. That's why the Bible tells us that we must what? Without ceasing. And I'm not talking about the Lord's Prayer. I'm talking about the state of mind where I am in communication with God, even subconsciously. Many people have said to me, well, how can I pray all the time? And I think the, that what the, the scripture is saying is that I am in spiritual contact with God or in communion, even subconsciously throughout the day. That my spirit is in contact or communion with God. So that even if something unexpected happens, I'm prepared for it. I used to, when I, when I came to the Lord, I, my conversion, I was so amazed by how it had changed me even subconsciously. I, uh, I was, how old was I? I was probably 21 years old at the time I, I came to God. And up to that time, like my brother, and I won't tell any secrets or anything, but we had a filthy mouth. 
You know, we, we weren't as angelic as we are now, are we? Were we? Just so holy. <laughs> I thought I'd throw that in there. I'm very kind to him because I've kept track of all the things that he said about me from the pulpit. But my point is this. After my conversion, I was so amazed at the internal subconscious change in my life that the Holy Spirit had brought about in me that, that I wasn't even aware of. See, some people think that, that just believing in the Lord Jesus Christ is, is all that you really need to do, and that's a great thing to do. But the Bible says if you have not the Spirit of Christ inside of you, you're none of his. And why is that important? Because the Spirit of God is the governor of your life. The Spirit of God living and working through me directs me and gives me insight that I would not have in my own nature. The Spirit of God will lead you and guide you. It will be a lamp onto your feet and a light onto your path. Without that provision inside my spirit, I'm like a blind man floundering around life. And many people don't see the value of it until they're put in a situation where they need to use it. Now, I, am, I was with my, uh, my daughter's, Amy's future father-in-law last night, and he was telling me that he builds cabinets. He's a cabinet maker. And so uh, it tells me a lot about him. He's probably skilled with his hands. He probably can use a hammer and a saw which is not my ability at all. And I remember one time, I wanted to be things that I wasn't. And I remember one time I was at home and I wanted to be a carpenter. I wanted to build things. But I have the aptitude of a young child when I have a saw in my hand and a hammer. And I'll tell you this story. Um, I wanted to build a birdhouse. And Linda's shaking her head. I, I didn't have a lot of lumber to use, so I used what was available, and we had two-by-fours and half-inch plywood, and I wanted it to be a big one. I wanted a three-story birdhouse, and my dad had a workbench downstairs, so I went down, and I just hammered and sawed and, and painted with these two-by-fours. Well, you know how heavy it was when I got done? I painted it up, and it was so big I couldn't get it out of the basement. And it was so heavy that we, we needed, and my dad said, what are you doing? I said, well, I want to build a birdhouse. He says, that isn't a birdhouse. We could probably live in that ourselves. And it wasn't anything to look at. But I remembered while I was building this thing, how I hit my thumb with the hammer. You ever do that? Oh, it's a wonderful feeling. Very exhilarating. And... When I hit my thumb, I was amazed at what came out of my mouth. This was after I had the Holy Ghost. Not what would have came out before. Not at all. I think it was owl. But before it would have been something else. And I began to realize there's something different about me, even subconsciously, that the things that I would have said before, I don't say them anymore, even subconsciously that God is working and moving and living through me, and I'm not even aware of his hand upon my life at times. 
And that's the communion of God's spirit because there's going to be life-defining moments that are going to affect your life. And if you don't have that spiritual ability to perceive the right from the wrong, it could change the direction that you're walking in. I don't get a lot of good quotes from senators, but I got one from Dan Coots. And he writes this, character cannot be summoned at the moment of crisis when it's squandered by years of compromise and rationalization. Character is not something that you get in a brief moment of time. Character is something that you develop developed through the trials of testing, the testing grounds of life. I, um, me and my brother, I guess he got me into this fix. We were both, he was 19, I was 18. It was the early 70s. Vietnam was going on and the draft was in place. And um, it was my year for the draft. And my brother had already enlisted in the Army National Guard, and I thought, boy, oh boy, I don't know if I want to get drafted to a place that I don't want to be. So my big brother had enlisted, so I thought, well, I'll enlist too. And I was so naive. He enlisted in a mobile unit. He got to ride in a Jeep. What did I enlist in? I should have just waited for the draft. I was enlisted in the infantry. Why? I couldn't have gotten any worse than that. But when I got to uh, Fort Lewis, Washington, and I found out what my MOS was, which is my operating sort of uh, description, what I was going to be, they assigned me, my position was an M60 machine gunner. Pretty impressive, huh? You ever carry one of them? <laughs> you wouldn't want to do it, not when you're in the infantry. And I, I began to realize that um, the M60 was not a, a desired position. That's the people they pick off first. The machine gunners go first when they're you're in, a, in a fight. But I remembered how important it was that I learn everything about that, that weapon. And by the way, they never call it a gun. Those that were in the service, it's never a gun. And I won't tell you anything more than that, what they said after, about guns. The weapon, it was your weapon. And they wanted you to know that weapon inside and out. We would tear that, I'd tear that machine gun apart, put it together, oil it. Because if it jammed up in an emergency, it would mean not only my life, possibly, but it would affect the lives of everybody else around me. So we spent countless hours on that, on that weapon. Why? Because in case of a tight situation, I needed to know how to respond subconsciously. Not only in the firing of the M60 was it exhilarating, but if you're in a war situation, and the enemy's firing back at you, you've got to be able to know how to do it, even amidst fear and trepidation. 
In my walk for God, yes, I can make decisions today, I think fairly clearly, but what am I going to do? If I'm put in a situation of stress where I need to make a snap decision for God in a moment amidst the pressures of a calamity, that would be a life-defining moment. When you drive out today, you can make two decisions when you go into a spin in your car on the ice. You can turn against the spin and you can spin more. Or you can turn into the spin and hopefully pull yourself out of it. But to do that, you have to realize before the spin what you're going to do. So when it happens, because it'll happen in a second, subconsciously you will already make the right decision. Have you ever done that? You go into a spin, you say, you don't say to yourself, I wonder, um, was that to the right? Do I turn into it? Or do I turn? You don't have time. Most of the life-defining decisions you're going to have in your life are going to come in a split second of time. And are you ready for that moment? Not only did Moses' decision affect his life, but it affected the millions of people that were in Egypt, the Hebrews that were in Egypt. Those 40 years of isolation that came about because of his decision, actually God used those as years of refining and definition for his character. The proud Moses that lived in Pharaoh's house lost his, his pride and became, as the Bible said, one of the most humble people that has ever lived. I don't know, maybe when, when uh, Moses decided to kill the Egyptian, maybe he was wanting to show everybody what kind of authority and power he had. Maybe there was an element of pride in it. But I'll tell you what, his decision changed his whole nature. And he went from the courts of Pharaoh to a, a place of barrenness in the desert. But he was ready for the next defining moment in his life. Usually when you make one bad decision, you learn how to start preparing for the next decision so that you can make the wise one. Remember the burning bush? The bush that was consumed by fire? And Moses saw it, and he turned aside, the Bible said, to look and see what was, what was happening with the bush. The decision what did not happen when he talked to the Lord. The decision happened when he turned towards the Lord. It said he, he, he turned aside to see. The Bible says that we need to turn aside, that's where repentance is, repent from the way that we're walking and turn towards him. Once we make that decision, God begins to work with us. And a voice spoke from the bush and told him what? First of all, when you approach me, you've, you've turned towards me, but in your approach towards me, take off your shoes. Become humble. This is holy ground. This, this relationship, this conversation, this direction that you're walking in is one that can have no element of pride in it. If you're really looking for God to work in your life and help you prepare for the next moment that's coming down the track, you must, first of all, turn away from your wicked ways. Turn your direction from the path that you've chosen 
and choose a new direction. And then you need to approach that, that, that thing that's drawing you with a humble spirit. But as, as God's beginning to work with Moses now, he's got him in a place where he's made the wrong decision and now he's wanting to make the right decision. He has to now pump him up with faith. You know, when you've made a bad decision, it's so hard to make a good decision because you don't want to make a decision. But by making no decision, you made a decision. So he comes and, and the Lord said, I'm going to send you back. And I remember Brother Kelsey Griffin. I don't know, Brother Green, if you've ever had a chance to meet Kelsey Griffin. Awesome, awesome guy. In our Old Testament class, one day he told us, he said, if you make a wrong decision, a decision that God has told you not to make or not given you direction in, you can make it, but he'll always bring you back to that point to start over and do it right. It's like mom saying, okay, uh, you made the bed, you didn't do it right, so let's tear her down and let's do it again. She just, at least my mom never made it for me. She said, you're going to learn how to make it right. And so Moses had to go back to where he was and do it right. He goes, and he doesn't want to do that because now he's dealing with all of his lack of self-confidence and his fear. Like, God, I don't, I don't think I can make the right decision. I, I, may, I thought I made a good decision and look where, look where it's got me. I've lived in this barrenness for 40 years taking care of dirty sheep. And God says, no, this time you're going to learn to work with me. Did I tell you to kill that Egyptian? Was that my direction that, that told you to hide him in the sand? No, it was your decision. There was no consultation on your part with me about what you were about to do. But let's go back, and now I will tell you what you shall say, what you shall do. And if you lean on me, we will change the course of history for God's people. You've got to stop operating in the common sense that you have been operating in because your common sense isn't necessarily spiritual sense. I, I remember um, Brother Gleason. It, wasn't, it was Stan Gleason's dad, Wendell. He, he taught us as well, and I, I gleaned so many... In, Great things from them. Wendell Gleason said to us one day at class, he said, when you don't know what to do, don't do anything. Not until God gives you the direction that you should go. Seek and you shall find. Ask and you shall receive. Knock and the door shall be open. It doesn't mean that you don't do anything. It means that you seek, you ask, you knock until God shows you the right way. And when Moses went back, he went back with a spirit of humility and his ears were open to God's voice. His eyes were open to God's direction because he was going to make life moments from here on in that no other man throughout time on this earth has been able to make. He was going to come up to a Red Sea and he was going to lift up his staff and the sea was going to split. I'm not aware of another person 
that's had a dramatic effect outside of Elisha on the Jordan that could do such things. But when you make one bad decision and you recover and you say, God, from here on in, you're going to be the author of my faith. My faith is not going to stem through what I perceive you to be. My faith is going to come from what your word reveals you to be. I look at some of the life-defining moments. I look at a man came Saul, like Saul. God handpicked him. Do you know that God handpicked you too? He did. How can you say that, Brother Kylie? Because the Bible says it. You've not chosen me. I've chosen you. You know that even God granted you repentance. He gave you a repentance not to be repented of. God's played an important part in your being here, and he called you the same way that he called Moses. But our problem sometimes is we make these decisions based on what we see and not what God has revealed. Saul, God chooses him from all the other people. He has a humble spirit. He starts out humble, and then he turns to pride. Moses started out proud and he returned to humble. I think I'd rather go back to humble because humble people are more pliable in God's hands and have an easy, a more easy chance of following God's revelations. But Saul had his life-defining moment is when he went, and, uh, went to battle and he spared the best of the animals and he spared the king. I think it was... Agag. He spared Agag. It was a life-defining moment. And Samuel comes to him and says, what are you doing? I taught, I God had told you through me not to spare anything, but to destroy everything. And he said, well, I did it because the people wanted me to. I spared the best for sacrifice. I'm going to give it back to God. I'll pay tithes on it. Well, that's a great deal. I'll, I'll tell you what, I'm going to steal 100 bucks, but I'll pay tithes on it. That'll certainly make God happy. That's common sense. You know, you laugh about it, but people... And I'll close with this. I, I, I'm having a little fun now, more than I should probably. It reminds me of the story of the, um, this Catholic man and I, this is not derogatory. I, it's not offensive. True, probably, some sense, to some sense. But he was a farmer. And uh, his, his, his neighbor had been bailing and bailing and bailing. And he had a great crop of hay. And he didn't have much hay at all that year. And he looked at his farmer's haystack. And he looked at his, his barn, how empty it was. And one night he decided he was going to steal half of his neighbor's haystack. And he did. He got up that night, stole it, brought it back to his barn. But then he, he began to feel somewhat guilty about it. And that Saturday, he went to confession and he talked to the priest. He said, uh, this is what I've done. I stole half my neighbor's haystack. What, what sort of recompense does God want me to give back? And the priest told him, he says, well, you've got to do this and repeat that and do this 10 times and so on and so forth. And just as he was getting ready to go, 
he said to the priest, he said, hey, can I ask you a question? Um, if I double that, can I go back and get the rest tonight? <laughs> See, that's our human nature. Yeah, we laugh about it, but sometimes it would, well, that's what happens. You can always tell when you're close to God because you're so spiritually and acutely aware of right and wrong. And even the little bittiest things bother you when you're walking in the spirit, little things. Even walking away with someone's pen that they've let you use will bother you if you've got the spirit of God inside of you. I did that one time. I drove back. I, I signed, I signed uh, papers so when I picked up freight and the guy let me use his pen to sign the, the shipping bill of lading and I accidentally put it in my pocket without thinking and I'm driving back to Manitowoc from Brilliant with my semi. It's not a little pickup. And I thought, I got his pen. I stole his pen. Most people say, it's a pen. But I couldn't live with myself. I said, I can't go the rest of the day knowing that he's, he's thinking I'm a thief. I drove all the way back. His name was Lonnie. I went and uh, Lonnie, I said, I took your pen. He said, what are you talking about? I said, I, you gave me your pen to sign the bill of lading. And I'm driving away and I was under such conviction. I couldn't, I couldn't go out on with my day. He says, you're nuts. He says, he opened up the drawer. He says, I got a whole drawer of these things. But my point is this. When you walk in the light, you're already walking in God's spirit and he'll direct you even subconsciously. So let's stop there. Um, I am so thankful that God has given us the ability to do what's right. Unfortunately, he gives us a choice and not we do not always make the right choice. Let's stand together. And I want to close with this verse. If the Lord who goes before you, it is the Lord who goes before you, he will be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. And that's found in Deuteronomy 31 and 8. So today, do not fear or be dismayed because God it is that goes with you. Lord, I pray for the remainder of the stay that you would uh, use us in our worship to praise you and to minister to others. I pray for Brother Green today, Lord God, that you'd use him. as. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.